Welcome to the Vertical Church Podcast. Today's message is from Easter 2013. Now, here's Pastor Josh Butcher. Well, good morning again and happy Easter. It's such a great day. Um, you know, kind of quiet. I, I'm going to say happy Easter and you're going to say happy Easter in response. Don't say the in response part because that would be awkward. You're just going to say happy Easter. Okay, that's the quote. So I'm going to say, let's do that again. Well, happy Easter. Yeah, there we go. All right. Ready to roll. Hey, we showed you that video because we just wanted to say, uh, those of you that give faithfully every week, that's what you're doing. That's that's the kind of difference you're making. And in fact, I've told this story last week, and I'm going to tell it again this week. Um, There was a lady that came up right at the very beginning, and she said, uh, almost word for word, she said, "Um, I was going to have to make a decision this week uh, whether to go to my doctor or whether to get the medicine that my doctor had prescribed. I didn't have money to do both. I couldn't afford the gas to get there and get medicine. Because of what you're doing today, I'm able to do both. Now, that may not seem like much to you, but to that lady, that was huge. That was ginormous. And you know why she was able to do that? Because you give faithfully every week to a church that's trying to make a difference in the Hampton Roads community. I just want to say thank you so much. And I'm so grateful that I get to be a part of a community like this. Well, if we haven't had a chance to meet, my name is Josh. I'm the lead teaching pastor here. And, uh, and we're going to dive right, right into this thing. Uh, we're so honored that you would spend your Easter morning with us. And so let's, let's jump right in. My son, I have two sons. I have a six-year-old and a just-turned-four-year-old on St. Patrick's Day. He was literally born on St. Patrick's Day, but he doesn't like the color green. It's really weird. His favorite color is blue. You would think St. Patrick could be green, but he's not. He's blue. Um, but my oldest son, Lex, at school, he made an Easter card, an Easter card with a, an, an egg on the front of it. And on the inside, he wrote his Easter card to God. Okay, my son, six years old, he makes an Easter card to God. And look, I don't, you probably can't make out because it's, you know, not the greatest picture, but also, you know, it's a six-year-old writing it. So let me read to you what he says. He says, he says, thanks for making Jesus come back to life. Okay, remember, this is a six-year-old's Easter card to God. All right, thanks for making Jesus come back to life so we could have spring break. I don't know what kind of, I don't know what that says about about my like my the, the teaching pastor's theology when the, when their kids saying thanks God for bringing Jesus back to life so we could have spring break. I don't I don't know. I'm just glad that he knows that God made Jesus come back to life. I don't right at this point I don't care why that he thinks it, spring break that's great. Yes, that, you're, you're right. Jesus came back to life so you could have spring break. But on the other side, let's, let's go back one. On the other side, it says this. We have nine days off to read. <laughs> really? Not to play games, not to build Legos, not to go see grandmommy and granddad. No, no, we have nine days off to read. He, he needs help, y'all. Would you mind, would you mind this week just saying a prayer for him? You know, any kid who's thinking spring break is awesome thing because they have time to read. They, they're, they're, they're great in school. So let's just, anyway, let's give me, let me ask you a question this morning. I'm going to ask you a question. How many of you have at some point in your life or another, some point or another, have, have you been dissatisfied 
with your behavior. Would you just raise your hand? Like, I've been dissatisfied with my behavior. I did something stupid. Yeah, yeah. No, no, leave your hands up because I want everybody to see, like, you're not alone. You're not weird. Just take a look around. Even though those of you are sitting in the balcony, I can see you. You need to participate. All right? Raise your hand. I did something stupid. You know, I yelled at my kids when I shouldn't have. Um, you know, I'm, I'm really hard on people that I love. I'm impatient. Come on, come on, come on. Keep your hands up. All right. Yeah, 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 yeah. We, maybe, maybe you can identify that. You can put them down. Maybe you've been overly critical at times of people that, you know, that you think they should know better, but, but they don't. And, and you're just like overly critical, you know. But let me give you an example. A couple weeks ago, like I said, I have two boys, six years old and four years old. And I know if you have kids in your house, this never happens. But my boys got into a little spat. Everybody say spat. You know, has that ever happened at your house? Like if you have kids or you've been around kids, you know, I know it's rare. I know that, that this is so rare that even mentioning it, uh, is kind of a moot point because it's, well, that never happens. You know, when you're dealing with a six-year-old and a four-year-old, they never fight, right? Especially if they're brothers, they, ne- they get along. They're like little angels. Well, one, a couple weeks ago, one, I don't remember what it was about, but one started yelling at the other one and, and the other kid yelled back and, and then their voices, you know how they have, you know how kids' voices just start to escalate and they get louder and louder until they hit that pitch that almost makes you think your, your ears are going to start bleeding. Anybody, has that ever happened in your house? Like maybe with you and your brother or sister, maybe if you don't have kids yet or, or don't have kids on the horizon, maybe that, you can recognize that. Well, Here's what happened. They're, they're going at it, right? Yelling at each other full tilt. Well, I jump in because I'm dad and I'm going to assert my authority. And I jump in and I say, don't raise your voice in this house. There's no screaming. We don't yell. <laughs> my kids looked at me like, dad, you're so stupid. They're just, they're just staring at me. Uh, you, we, what? What happened? What happened? I did the very thing that I was telling them, don't do this. And here I do it to, to calm them down. I'm doing the very thing I don't want them to do. You ever had that happen to you? You ever, you ever experienced that? And, and I get to do that, and I'm, I'm looking at myself in the mirror later. I'm like, why am I so stupid? Why, why am I like that? Why does why there seem to be something going on when I, I know that I'm telling them, don't yell, and now I'm raising my voice. Like, what is that? What is going on? And, and I don't know if you identify with that, but, but I bet a few people do. Like, when you're in life and, and you know the right thing to do, but for, for whatever reason, you just can't get it done. And when we come to situations like that, we've got all sorts of different answers. Sometimes we think we just got to try harder. I'm going to try harder. I'm going to do better. And the way we're going to do better is, is some people answer that question and they say, I'm going to do better, but I'm going to try the church thing. For the last few weeks, we've been in a series called Christian. And some people say, well, I'm going to try the Christian thing. I'm going to, I'm going to get a dose of Christianity. And I don't really know what that means. I think it means I'm just going to become a nice person, a good person. I'm going to follow the teachings of Jesus. What Jesus says, I'm going to follow the teachings of Jesus. And then things go well for a while until we get, you know, in in church and we realize that the people in church are actually more messed up than we are. And so they're not really helping us much. And and we're actually trying to follow the teachings of Jesus. We're trying to do good. We're trying to be nice. and, And it just doesn't seem to be taking. 
I don't know if you identify with that. It's like, you know, I've tried the Jesus thing and it just doesn't seem to be taking. I'm trying to follow what he said to do. I'm trying to do what he said to do. And it just doesn't seem to be taking hold. And so we try something else. Well, I mean, roll the dice, give it another shot. And, and so maybe we pick up a self-help book. Seven steps to break any addiction. Seven steps to stop yelling at your kids, right? And we get to step two and we're so frustrated and frazzled that we throw the book out the window and we break it. No, that never happened to you. I'm the only one with a window repair bill. And what happens, you, you get so frustrated that you just give up. And so then you think, okay, what I really need to do is I just need to get disciplined. I just got to get some self-discipline because where there's a will, we all know it, right? Where there's a will, there's a way, and there's a, there, there's a will until 9 o'clock at night when your wife makes chocolate chip cookies. And you're trying to lose weight, and it's like, I got all the willpower, but there ain't no way. <laughs> I'm trying to make a change. I'm trying to be a better person. I'm trying to be good. And now you put this in front of me? Come on. I, all discipline just goes out the window. And then, and then what we do is we end up, I'm, okay, I'm just going to do whatever it takes. I'm going to... It, drastic times call for drastic measures. For example, one time I was, uh, I was in high school, early college, and I had a real anger problem. I know, like, if you know me now, you're like, really? But seriously, I had, a, I had a real anger problem. I would fly off the handle. I would get mad. I would, I would just lose it sometimes. And I traced it back to um, the, my love for gangster rap. <laughs> what? What's funny about, you don't think that I would like gangster rap? Seriously, I had it all. I had Tupac, Dr. Dre, Snoop Dogg, uh, the notorious B.I.G. Dude, he was in my, he was on, well, he wasn't on my playlist because I didn't have iTunes back then, you know, but he was on my, he was in my CD case, right? Bone Thugs and Harmony. Come on, oh yeah, somebody, yeah, come on. Somebody's about to start shouting and I'm talking about gangster rap music. I had it all. And I loved it. And so what I did, what I did is I said, okay, I've got this anger problem. I got to get it under control. So I'm going to destroy all of my gangster rap music. And so literally I took all my CDs and I got on my dresser and I just started smashing them because I felt I got to get over this thing. And, and for a few weeks, I was good, man. I was happy. Things were great. And then I really wanted to listen to my gangster rap music. And I didn't have any of my CDs, so I had to borrow my, y'all don't know anything about this. I had to borrow my friend's CDs and then make copies of them on tape because, because we didn't have like burning capabilities at the time. I couldn't rip the disc. I just had to copy it on a tape. And then the quality, because I put it on a tape, was terrible. And I couldn't make out the words that Snoop Dogg was saying. And I just got more angry. <laughs> I want to hear Snoop. I don't know what he's saying. What happened? The very thing that, that my drastic measure was supposed to accomplish, all of the trying harder had the exact opposite effect. Have you ever had that experience? All of your trying harder, all of your doing better, all of my self-discipline, all of my drastic measures, even trying the Christian thing. I'm going to follow Jesus's teaching, all of that, all of that trying to accomplish this thing by doing something better seems to oftentimes have the very opposite effect. You ever experience anything like that? 
don't know if that identifies with you, but I do know somebody that it does identify with. There's a writer in the New Testament. His name's Paul. He wrote a bunch of letters that got compiled together to be a good portion of what we in the Christian tradition call the New Testament. He was writing this, and he, he talks about this very experience in a letter that he wrote to the, to the followers of Jesus living in the city of Rome. He, he lived, Paul lived, if you don't know anything about the Bible, that's cool. Paul lived during the time, kind of during the time of Jesus, but mainly his, his main contribution in life came after Jesus. For several decades after Jesus, Paul would visit these churches and he would write to these churches. He was a very, very smart, very well-educated man, put a lot of time and effort into this. And he started out, his, his history began as a devout Pharisee. Like I said, if you don't know anything about the Bible, that's cool. A Pharisee is basically this, this pressure group in Jewish culture. In the time of Jesus, they were, this, they were this group that would pressure people to try to obey all of the laws of the, New, of the Old Testament because the, the Romans had occupied Israel. They had occupied Jerusalem. And according to the Pharisees, the way we get rid of the Romans, the way we overcome the Romans, the way we overthrow them and get them out of our, out of our nation is this intense observance of every rule and law, all 613 of them, including the Big Ten, in the Old Testament. If we observe them to the T, then God will come and he'll remove the Roman occupiers. As a Pharisee, Paul knew a thing or two about trying harder. As a Pharisee, Paul knew a thing or two about doing better. You just got to do better. That's your problem. You just got to try harder. Paul knew a thing or two about this. And he's writing in this letter to the Romans and he gets to around chapter seven and he begins thinking back about his life before he meets Jesus. Because Paul had this encounter with Jesus that totally transformed his life. But he's thinking about this time before meeting Jesus and he's reflecting on it. And he writes this in his letter, Romans chapter seven. If you don't have a Bible, don't sweat it. The words are going to be on the screen. If you don't, um, if, if you can't see the screen, they're also printed on the back of the program that you receive when you walked in today. You can follow along also on any kind of mobile device, um, smartphone, tablet, whatever you have. The app called YouVersion, it's the Bible app. If you search in there under live, you can find us there. So he says this, verse 21, this is, this is real interesting. He says, so I find this law at work. In other words, he says, I, any, I, I'm not like terribly great at math. I've forgotten most of the calculus that I took, but I remember basic math because my son is in first grade and I have to help him with basic math, like addition, subtraction, those kinds of things, right? You remember, you remember how you would, you would do addition, you would write one number on top of the other and then you would draw a line and you put the results under it. This is what Paul's talking about. He says, here's the result. Here's what I find. Here are my findings. I've done the addition. I've done the math. And here's what I find about this law. Here's what I discover in my life. Here's the sum of what trying harder and doing better. Here's what it gets you. Verse 21, the rest of it. Although I want to do good, evil's right there with me. You ever experienced that? Like, like I, I really want to do the right thing. I really want to do better. But when I try to do better, it's like, man, there's this thing right beside me that's not letting me do 
better. He goes on, he says, verse 22, for in my inner being, I delight in God's law. I know all the right things. I know all 613 laws. I saw the movie with Charlton Heston bringing them down from the mountain, and then he throws them at everybody. I saw it all, right? I've been watching the Bible series on the History Channel. I know the right thing to do, verse 23, but I see another law at work in me, waging war against the law of my mind and making me, look what he says, a prisoner of the law of sin at work within me. He says, he says, I know the right thing to do. I know all of the command. I know how to be better, but there's something inside of me that just won't let me be better. It's, it's actually fighting against everything that I know to be right. And then he says this in verse 24. He says, what a wretched man I am. He thinks about his life before he meets Jesus and he says, man, I was miserable. Not to be too crass, but basically he's saying, I sucked. <laughs> you ever felt like that? Like, gosh, try, I know all the right things to do. And when I try to do them, ugh, I suck <laughs> at doing better. He, say, he says, there's just something, there's something inside of me that's holding me back. Trying harder isn't working. Doing better isn't working. I've got great intentions. I've thrown away all of my gangster rap CDs. I've, I've gone drastic measures. But the problem, you see, the problem, Paul says, isn't that I don't know the right thing to do. The problem isn't that I don't know it. The problem is that even though I know it, when I try to do it, the results aren't that good. The results aren't that great. And he says, in fact, the harder I try, the worse it seems to become. Now, keep in mind, Paul is a devout, God-fearing Jew at this point in his life. As he's reflecting on this pre-Jesus life, he is a, a God-fearing Jew. Jew. I mean, we can imagine Paul as a young man reading and, and praying maybe, maybe one of the Psalms at night in his bed, and he's longing to take the Old Testament like, a, like you and I would take a blanket and wrap it around ourselves. This is what Paul wants to do with the Old Testament, with the, with the revelation of God found there. He wants to take it. He wants to wrap it around. He wants to make it his way of life, his, his every breath, which is exactly what he's supposed to do. There's nothing wrong. That's exactly what a Jewish person was supposed to do. But here's the problem that Paul discovers as he's reflecting on his old life. He says, he, he says the closer you hug yourself to trying harder and doing better, you only find that you make the situation worse. He says it only gets worse. You just you're just more miserable. You're just more, what he says, wretched. You're just more hardened. You're just more, I mean, that's what he's saying in verse 24. I suck. And that's where this approach takes you. That's where, that's where all of the trying harder, that's where doing better, that's where it leaves you. It leaves you deeply miserable. Because it's all, you, you, it's like, man, it's all my fault. I know the right thing, but there's just something inside of me that's wrong because I can't do what I know to be right. Well, then he doesn't leave us there for long because he asks us a question. He asks a question, the next part of verse 24. He says this, he says, 
who's going to rescue me? And he calls that life, he calls it a body of death. He says, who's going to, who's going to save me from all of the, try, the exhaustion of trying harder, the, the torment of doing better but never really doing better? Who's going to save me from that? Who's, is, it, is it ever going to get better? Maybe you've asked that question. Is it ever going to get better? Will my past forever dictate my future? Will I never overcome this addiction? Will I never overcome my tendencies? Will I never overcome my personality flaws? In all of this trying harder and doing better, Paul says, I can't even rescue myself. If he couldn't, Paul couldn't rescue himself. And if he couldn't, what chance do we have? He knew all of the, he could, he could stand here and rattle off all 613 of them. And if he couldn't rescue himself, do we have any hope? Do we have any shot of actually making significant change in our lives? Well, luckily, he doesn't leave us there for too long because he answers the question in verse 25. He says, thanks be to God who delivers me through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Now, he doesn't tell us how here. He just says that Jesus does it, which is great. Jesus rescues us from this never-ending cycle of trying harder and doing better. But he never gets to how here. Instead, he recaps what he's already said. He says, so then, I myself in my mind am a slave to God's law. But in my sinful nature, a slave to the law of sin. He just recaps. He says, look, before I met Jesus, here's what my life looked like. I knew all the right things to do, but I never really could do them right. I knew the right thing, but I could never get it right because something inside of me, it was like I was a prisoner. It was like I was a slave to this other part of me. This, this other, it's like I was a different person. I knew all the right things, but I just couldn't do them. He uses this language of slavery to describe this feeling inside like he's a prisoner, like he's captive by this, what he calls sinful nature. Even if I wanted to choose something different, I couldn't because I was a slave. Then comes Romans chapter 8. Therefore, therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Now, let me share something with you. This doesn't make any sense. We're not expecting Paul to say this. This is completely out of the blue because he hasn't told us how anything happens. He just says, look, there's no condemnation. And we're like, well, why? Why can you say that? We're not, Paul, we're not expecting this shout of triumph like we finally overcome. No, what we're expecting is, is therefore there's a lot of gloom and doom you're about to face it's just going to get worse. You just got to struggle on. That's what we're expecting. But he says, look, there's no condemnation. Well, why? Why, Paul, is there no condemnation? Romans chapter 8, verse 2, he says, here's why. Because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit, this, this free life, this, this life outside of slavery, gives life, and it set you free from that slavery from the law of sin and death. Notice he doesn't say those who believe in Jesus. You know, if you just believe in Jesus, well, that's great. You know, scripture says that demons believe in Jesus and they shudder in fear. 
And he doesn't say those who are Christians. You know, if you're just a Christian, if you're a nice person following the teachings of Jesus, you'll experience this freedom. He doesn't say that. He says anyone who is in him, anyone who is fully surrendered to him, anyone who has trusted him, anyone who belongs to him, who's not just trying to get better by doing better or trying harder. If you're in him, Paul says he's going to do something new in you. If you're in him, he'll do something new in you. He'll set you free. It's like, it's like you're a slave, you're captive, and then when you're in him, you experience freedom and release. The old kind of goes away and then something new happens. You know, what I love about God, among many things, what, what I love about God is God's not just trying to help us live a better life. Like, like God's purpose for you is not to live better. And God's purpose for you isn't just to improve your life or be successful or anything like that. God truly wants you to experience freedom and a new life. God wants you to experience not that Gosh, that never-ending cycle of trying harder and doing better and not making any progress. God wants you to experience something new. He doesn't want you to turn over a new leaf. He doesn't want you to experience, you know, just, just a slight change. He wants you to experience something brand spanking new, as we would say in southern West Virginia. <laughs> he wants you to experience a new freedom. But he says it's not by doing more. It's not by trying harder. It's not by doing better. It's only by being in him. Well, that's great, right? I mean, that's great, but how do we do that? How do we, how do we become in him? Well, I'm glad you asked because Paul takes us through a little journey in Romans chapter 8, verse 3. He says, for what the law was powerless to do, what all of your trying harder, what all of your doing better, what that was powerless to do because it was weakened, by the flesh. God did. Okay, great. Here's how God did it. Here's how God can take you from, from not in him to in him. God did it by sending his own son. You know, when you're a really important person and you want to get something done, oftentimes you just delegate it. Like you send somebody else. That's what they teach you in leadership classes. When you've got something to do, a leader delegates. A leader you know, passes it off to somebody else to get the job done. But Paul says here, when God had to rescue us from this life, he did it himself. God sent, God sent his own self, his son, Jesus. He didn't send somebody else. He didn't send somebody who, who was less than God. He sent his own self to make us new. He himself came to do it. And look how he did it. He said he did it. He came in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering. And so he condemned sin in the flesh. He came to the very point of all of our trying harder. He came to the very point of all of our doing better. He came to the point of that never-ending cycle of, of I know the right thing to do, but there's something inside of me that just won't let me do it. He came to that point and the weight of that life, the weight of the life that you and I experience where we know the right thing to do, but we just can't do it. All of that, Paul says, was on Jesus. It was all focused on him. And Jesus dies a criminal's death. And at that moment, Paul says, God condemned sin. He declared that way of life unfit for those he had created. He said that way is no longer acceptable. 
for those who I have created. You know, oftentimes we wonder, well, why is there? What's the reason there is no condemnation? Well, the reason there is no condemnation for those who are in Jesus is because the condemnation has already taken place in him. It's already happened. It's already been judged. It's already been declared unfit for human life. It's already been done. He experienced that judgment. Jesus experienced that shame. Jesus experienced that separation. Jesus experienced in himself that life of endless struggle of trying to do better. He experienced that for you and me. And then Paul goes on to say in the next few verses, he says, look, now here's what's happened. Here's what I understand on the other side of of encountering Jesus. There are two kinds of humanity. There are two different types of human beings. I know that sounds really weird, but that's what Paul says. He says there are two different types. There's type A, and they're still trying to do better. They're still trying to to try harder. They're still trying to be nice. They're still trying to be good. And he says, and there's a different group. There's a different kind of humanity, and they've given up trying harder. They've given up on doing better. They've given up on being nice. They have simply found themselves in Jesus, meaning that that there's a group who has not yet trusted Jesus, and there's a group who has trusted Jesus to make the difference that trying harder never could make. Since there's two different kinds of humans, and, and these two different kinds of humans are headed towards two different destinations. He said that those who are still trying to do better, those who are still trying harder, well, they're headed to what Paul calls death. And not only are they headed there, but that's kind of what they already experience now. It's like, it's like they're living death. They're like walking zombies. You know, they're, they're just walking dead people. That's what they experience right now. They're, they're, they're just walking dead. And then there's another group, and Paul says they experience life. There's two different kinds of humanities, and, and they're both experiencing two different kinds of lives. One is death and one is life. Then he says this in Romans chapter 8, verse 11. And if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead, who according to my six-year-old son, we can call that person God. If God, who raised Jesus from the dead, if God is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead, if God is living in you, if you have trusted, if you have surrendered your life to God, then the one who raised Jesus from the dead will give life to your mortal bodies because of the spirit who lives inside of you. Let me put this to you in really, really simple terms. He who raised Jesus from the dead will also raise you from the dead. And I don't mean like some point off in the future when you die and you're wondering, well, gosh, I don't want to fry, but I want to fly to the sweet by and by. I'm not talking about that. (laughs) I'm talking about right now. You know that death that you feel inside of you? All of that trying harder, all of that trying to do better, all of that endless cycle of never making the kind of change that you want to make, Paul calls that death. And he says, if you'll surrender to Jesus and you're in him, he'll raise you out of that death. When Jesus died on the cross, your sin and my sin died. When Jesus comes up out of the grave, he takes death by the throat and he puts death in the grave and he smacks him in the teeth and he says, you stay there because that's where you belong. You see, 2,000 years ago, Jesus defeated death. Jesus put death to death. 
Jesus killed death and, and, and both the future death, but also that experience of death right now. And he smacked it and he put it in the grave through the resurrection and he got up. And when he came out of that grave and he put death in that grave, he declared for all and for forever and for all time that he can do the same thing in your life. He can take the death that is inside of you and he can put it in the grave where it belongs. All of that guilt that you feel for never being able to really do better. All of that condemnation you feel because when you try harder, you don't measure up to the, to the level of success that you think you ought to get to. All of your efforts to be nice, all of your attempts that just get you nowhere, they only make you more frustrated. He wants to take that death that's inside of us and he wants to destroy it. And he wants to put it to death. He wants to bury it and he wants to make an exchange. He'll take the death that's inside of us and he'll give us Life. Listen, those of us in the room who are, who are Jesus followers, we worship a guy who died and came back to life. And, and Paul tells us and scripture tells us and he tells us himself that he is for us. Not just those of us who, who follow him. He's for all of us. And if he is for you, just let that sink in for a second. He is unequivocally for you. Even if you don't know him, even if you haven't trusted him yet, he is for you. And his grace, his freedom, his life means that there is hope for your tomorrow. His resurrection means that your past does not define your future. His, his life means that your death does not dictate your potential. You can experience new life. In fact, the pain of your past, the pain of your past guilt, your past shame, all of the ways that you've tried harder and never been able to do it, the pain of that always gets overwhelmed by your potential in Christ. Here's the bottom line. If you don't get anything else this morning, here it is. Here's the bottom line. Trying harder may make you nice. But only Jesus can make you new. Let me say that again. Uh, you can go to church. You can try really hard. You can do the very best that you can do. You can, you can get all of the religious behavior right. And it may make you a nice person. It may make you a good person. But it won't make you a new person. Only Jesus can do that. Well, well Pastor Josh, can I just follow his teachings? No, you can't. You can't just follow his teaching. And here's why. You're dead inside. The only way you can follow his teachings is if you come alive. You can't follow his teachings because you're dead. That's what trying harder is all about. Knowing all of the commands without knowing the commander. Plus, why would you even follow the teachings of a guy that you don't trust? Listen, listen, listen. Jesus wasn't a good teacher. That's a misunderstanding. Jesus wasn't a nice guy. Jesus wasn't a good guy. There are only three possibilities for who Jesus was. Jesus is either a liar, because if what he said was untrue, if his claims to be God were not true, and he deceived people into dying for him, then he's a liar, and he's not worth following his teachings. Or he's crazy. 
you know, you don't have to search very hard to find somebody who believes that they're God. I mean, I found a guy on the internet whose mama told him that he could be whatever he wanted, so he wants to be God, and he's only got a few friends on Facebook, so he's not doing very good at it. Why? Because he's nuttier than a Snickers bar. Listen, if you claim to be God and you're not, you're crazy. And that's exactly what Jesus is if he's not actually God. He's just crazy. And why would you follow the teachings of a crazy man? So he's either a liar, he's either crazy, or he is in fact actually God. And what he said he can do in your life, he can do it. He is for you. He wants to make you new. He wants you to experience life outside of all of the trying harder. We're going to go into a song. And while, while the, the worship team is leading us into this song, I just want you to, to ask yourself, who will rescue me from this body of death? Who's going to rescue me? How am I going to get past my past? How am I going to get past all the guilt? How am I going to get past all of the trying harder and doing better? What hope do I have? And after they sing the song, I want to, I want to give you the opportunity to trust in Jesus. But first, let's sing one more song. If you don't know where to begin, then you begin at the cross where he died, where he bled for you, for me. And it might be awkward. You might be nervous. You might be embarrassed. God can handle awkward. God can handle embarrassed. God can handle nervous. If you today, if you want to experience new life, as we celebrate new life all around us that he provided thousands of years ago, if you want to get in, if you want to be welcomed home, listen, he made the first move. He took the initiative. He made the move towards us. And today he's making the move right now towards you, calling you to forgiveness, calling you to new life, calling you to realize the potential of new life that is in an empty tomb. For the next few minutes, just, just kind of ask yourself the question, who will rescue me? from never ending, trying harder and doing better. It's time for you to trust in Jesus. It's time for you to quit all of the trying and, and, and doing and, and being nice and trying to do the right thing. It's time for you to give all of that up. And it's time to simply trust in Jesus. If you're wondering, am I talking to you? I'm talking to you. God is speaking to you right now. He's wanting you to begin a relationship with him. You might not even know what to say. You might not even know what to say. You might just say, God, I don't even know what to say. But you made the first move. I'm ready. If you're ready, he's ready. I want us all, all over the auditorium to bow our heads and just close our eyes because I want to, I want to lead you in a prayer. I want, I want you to forget everybody else in the room. Listen, just forget everything else that's going on. Forget what you got to do after this. Forget about all of that. Don't think about any of it. If he's calling you to new life, to trust in him, to experience newness, 
then I want you to pray this prayer in your heart with me. God will hear you. He will forgive you and he will bring you back into right relationship with him. He'll move towards you. Listen, he is able to rescue you. Just say this with me. Just If that's you, if you're ready, if you're, if you're God, I feel you moving towards me and I surrender to you, then just say this. You don't have to pray it out loud. You can if you want to. You can pray it under your breath. It, it doesn't just say, Jesus, thank you for rescuing me. Thank you for forgiving me. I don't know, Lord, where to begin, but I know that it's not about what I can do. It's not about trying harder. It's about what you've already done. Thank you for dying for me. Thank you for raising for me. You were innocent. I was guilty. I can never repay that. Lord, I don't even know what to say. I offer you my life. I receive your grace and forgiveness. I'm following you today, Lord. I'm bowing my life to you. I'm giving you it all. I give you my life. I believe you died. I believe you rose again. This morning, Lord, I turn from the life of trying harder and I receive the life that you live for me. Save me and make me new. You know, with all your heads down and your eyes still closed, I'm going to give you another opportunity here in just a moment to express that, yes, I just prayed that prayer. And I'm going to ask you here at the count of three to just shoot your hand up. I'm going to ask you to just raise your hand. Now listen, that doesn't do anything for you. All it does is it acknowledges on the outside something that just took place on the inside. You're saying, I don't care what other people around me think. I don't care about any of that stuff. I'm not going to waste another day. I'm giving my life to Jesus. If you just prayed that prayer and you gave your life to Jesus, listen, that's the whole reason we're here this morning. Our church exists for you. When I get to three, if you prayed that prayer and accepted Christ in your heart, I just want you to shoot your hand up when I say three. It's a sign of the resurrected life that you're living beginning now. It's a sign that everything will be different. This is an opportunity for you to begin again. God is talking to you. I'm talking to you. He came to die for you on the count of three. If that's you, just shoot your hand up. One, two, three. Shoot your hand up. I'm giving my life to you, Jesus. I'm surrendering my life to you, Lord. Thank you, God. I'm giving it all to you. I'm turning from that life. I'm turning. I'm not going back. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Keep your hand up. Come on, come on, come on. Keep your hand up. It's awesome. This is awesome. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Everything is different for you beginning right now. Everything is changed for you right now. Your life is no longer the same. He is making you new right now. He's making all the difference in your life. Today is the first day of your new life. You can go ahead and you can go ahead and put your hands down. I'm going to invite everybody else. Let's just lift our hands and thank God for what he's doing in this place. Come on.
For those of you who raised your hands, for those of you who just accepted Jesus, I want to pray a really short prayer over you right now. Lord, I pray for all of those who just gave their life to the resurrected God. Lord, they're turning from all of the trying harder and doing better. They're turning to you to receive life. God, I pray that you would raise them from death to life by the power of the gospel. One more time, let's clap our hands and join the party that is taking place right now because new life is being birthed. Thank you so much for joining us today. We always appreciate hearing how God is moving in your life. We all have a story to tell and we'd love to hear yours. Please visit verticalchurch.tv and click on the little pencil icon called Amen Corner to tell us your story. Also, if you'd like to support the ministry of Vertical Church financially, you can do so by clicking the giving link at verticalchurch.tv. Thank you again for taking the time to join us as we point those far from God to life in Jesus.